On April 25, the CCP Central Committee in a People's Daily editorial condemned students' actions as turmoil and stated they disturbed social order. The students were further upset. On May 13, the students went on a hunger strike in Tiananmen Square to call for the retraction of the editorial and a dialogue between the government and the students. Meanwhile, thousands of Beijing's civilians, government officials, and journalists poured into the streets to support the students. The strong-armed handling of the Herald incident by Jiang Zemin and his cohorts triggered media protests that shook Shanghai and quickly spread throughout the entire nation, breeding almost overnight a firestorm. Zhao Ziyang frankly offered that since the Herald incident was started by Shanghai City Council, it should be ended by Shanghai City Council. His open criticism of Jiang Zemin, who was by then favored by Chen Yun and Li Shenyan, angered some senior party's bosses. Jiang Zemin in a state of panic called Li Rei, who was the executive vice minister of the CCP Central Organization Ministry. Jiang Zemin begged him to speak to his connections on Jiang Zemin's behalf, and to inquire about the state of things there. Jiang Zemin's closest associate, Chen Zhili, told him, If the central government asks who is responsible, I'd say it's all me. You won't be implicated. When Jiang Zemin found out that the opinions of the central committee's elder bosses were different from that of Zhao Ziyang, he felt relief. The CCP decided to crack down the student movement. Although Zhao Ziyang was the party's general secretary, he could not stop the bloodshed. Early in the morning on May 19, he went to Tiananmen Square to meet the students who were on hunger strike. He was in tears. Around midnight, Premier Li Peng declared martial law in Tiananmen Square. Jiang Zemin had been waiting for this. He quickly expressed firm support of the Central Committee's decision, in a telegram in plain language. The timely gesture was made before any other provincial or city leaders had responded, making for an effect similar to when Jiang Zemin delivered the cake to Li Shanian. His declaration, to be sure, gave party elders the sense that we had found the reliable successor. Deng Xiaoping secretly called Jiang Zemin to Beijing on May 21. Not knowing what to expect, Jiang Zemin anxiously went meet with Deng. To his surprise, Deng praised his handling of the Herald and stated that Shanghai did a much better job than Beijing at receiving Gorbachev. And then Deng Xiaoping told him that there was another critical task to be handled. Jiang Zemin was quite relieved. Deng asked Jiang Zemin to detain Wan Li, chairman of the People's Congress, who was on a state visit to Canada at the time, and would return to China earlier than scheduled. Deng had changed Wan Li's flight route for him to land in Shanghai rather than Beijing. Jiang Zemin's task was to force Wan Li to support the decision of the party's elders. If Wan Li failed to do so, he wouldn't be allowed to return to Beijing. Jiang Zemin understood perfectly the importance of the matter, the party's testing him, it would be a decisive turning point of his political career. Jiang Zemin put Wan Li under house arrest, presenting him with Deng's personal letter, and forced him on May 27, days later, to finally announce publicly, that he agreed with the Central Committee's order to enact martial law. Jiang Zemin had cleared away the last obstacle in advance of the Tiananmen massacre. On that same day, May 27, Deng Xiaoping organized a meeting with eight senior party bosses, meant to decide upon the candidate for the position of the general secretary. Early on, Deng Xiaoping had nominated Chaoxi and Li Rei Huan, but Chen Yun had advocated strongly for Jiang Zemin. Li Shenyan and Bo Yibo played a pivotal role in Deng's switching to Jiang Zemin. Li Shanian had argued that although Jiang Zemin lacked experience in Central Committee, his party spirit was strong. May 30th, Jiang Zemin was again ordered to Beijing. Chen Yun said to him that Deng Xiaoping decided you'd replace Zhao Ziyang. 
Then Li Shanian said the decision was made based on Deng Xiaoping's wish, he'll surely talk to you again. Jiang Zemin followed Zunking Hong's advice to listen more, and talk less. He thus responded with only brief answers, preferring to give merely a slight bow, lowering his head in a gesture of acknowledgement. Returning to his room, Jiang Zemin quickly made three phone calls. The first was for Zunking Hong. He said, it doesn't look like I'll be returning. Zung asked nervously, didn't you plan on returning in a couple of days? Jiang Zemin responded, I'm going to be working here. You should come here right away, tomorrow. The second phone call was to the former Shanghai mayor, Wang Dao Han. Jiang Zemin said, I'd like to have your support in the future. The third call was made to his wife, Wang Ye Ping, asking her to make preparations for a move to Beijing. His wife, however, uttered not a word. Now that the final decision had been made, at 8 o'clock in the evening, Li Peng, Yao Yi Lin, and others politely treated Jiang Zemin for dinner at the Great Hall of the People. Jiang Zemin felt like he was dreaming. The appointed time at which the army was to enter Beijing had been delayed several times, but the outcome was a foregone conclusion. As the newly appointed General Secretary, Jiang Zemin from the time of late May, began reading and approving official documents. On June 1st, a new plan was settled upon, then on the night of June 4th, the CCP's field army, with machine guns and tanks, suppressed and massacred barehanded students and citizens. Jiang Zemin was the key figure in the tragedy, and the one who benefited most. Because of this, he still wishes the date could be fully erased from people's minds. He had been scared to death, that the verdict on the massacre in Zhao Ziyang would be reversed. When Jiang Zemin departed from his post as general secretary, and president of the state in 2002, he left the standing committee with several rules, one, tellingly, was to never reverse the judgment passed by the party on the nature of the Tiananmen massacre. Deng Xiaoping's children still recall the day Jiang Zemin was first invited to Deng's residence. As he stood humbly before Deng Xiaoping, his face full of nervous smiles. Those in attendance that day didn't take notice, having seen many a bootlegger before, the awkwardness of the sort was nothing new. When Deng Xiaoping happily introduced the new Jiang Zemin, as the party's general secretary, people remained nonchalant, showed no interest. Upon coming to Beijing, the first thing Jiang Zemin wished to do was frequent Deng's residence. He was new to Deng's place, and didn't know anybody in the house. Be it in the corridors, or the courtyard of Deng's place, whoever Jiang Zemin met, little kids being no exception, he would tuck in his guts, standing slightly aside, and say with a beaming smile, after you. The show of excess, though it delighted the kids, made the likes of cooks and bodyguards nervous. They felt this had to be a schemer. The sense of discomfort with Jiang Zemin's conduct was shared by others. It was well known that Deng Xiaoping smoked a lot. His nurse had to remind him constantly to smoke less. Jiang Zemin himself a non-smoker, was ever quick to brandish a lighter for Deng Xiaoping. While Jiang might have provoked the ire of several nurses, in the end, he won Deng's heart. Usually, it was Deng's nurses and bodyguards who would serve him teas or fetch his slippers. 
This gave Jiang Zemin an otherwise rare opportunity. On many occasions, he would rush to serve Deng Ti or fetch his slippers, when he spotted a nurse or bodyguard about to do that. The onlookers were left at a loss for what to do. Even to this day, the children who were present back then, joke about Jiang's flattery. After the Gulf War, Deng Xiaoping had a tremendous sense of urgency when it came to expanding the economic reform, invigorating the market, and using the economy to contain the United States. However, Jiang Zemin, who held powerful political positions, was strongly against reform. Having put forth so much to climb the political ladder, Jiang Zemin surely would not back down. He thought a more open society and economy, would simply make people harder to control. Deng began to regret having listened to Chen Yun and Li Shanian, in hastily choosing Jiang to be general secretary. His credentials, abilities, and popularity were far behind the other candidates. Many inside and outside of CCP, considered Jiang Zemin's reign as merely a transitional period. To push forward the reform, Deng Xiaoping had no choice but to look for other candidates. He outright and completely excluded Jiang Zemin, in his considerations. Deng Xiaoping went to Shanghai to meet with its mayor Zhu Rongji and size him up. He felt Zhu Rongji was a man of extraordinary talent among the CCP high-ranking officials, and somebody who understood economic affairs. And he had the courage and spirit to do solid works. Deng Xiaoping promoted him to the post of Vice Premier of the State Council. In the meantime, Deng Xiaoping published a series of articles to support the reformist camp. Jiang Zemin instigated the leftists in the CCP in Beijing, to attack and criticize the reform. He also dispatched staff to monitor Deng's speech and activities in Shanghai. Jiang Zemin himself, was busy lobbying senior CCP members in Beijing who could constrain Deng Xiaoping. Deng learned of Jiang's veiled opposition to him, and became quite dissatisfied with Jiang Zemin. He was prepared to replace Jiang Zemin with Chaoxi and reinstate Zhao Ziyang. In 1992, a special train departed from Beijing, speeding southwards. On the train was Deng Xiaoping, then 88 years of age, accompanied by his wife, daughter, and an old friend, China's president, Yang Shankun. This was the famous Deng Xiaoping Southern Tour. From January 18th to February 21st, he journeyed through Wuchang, Zhuhai, and Shanghai, and delivered his Southern Tour speech at Xinjiang. Pushing to restart the stopped reform wheels, Yang Beibing took a stand on behalf of the military, publicly supporting Deng's speeches on the Southern Tour. And in turn, the military gave Deng the strongest backing. The press all over the country published Deng Xiaoping's Southern Tour speech. The tide suddenly had turned. On June 9, 1992, the party school of the CCP Central Committee was guarded so heavily, as if to be facing a deadly enemy. Jiang Zemin, surrounded by Chaoxi and a retinue of soldiers and police, entered the institution's assembly hall. Faculty and students laughed at Jiang Zemin in the scene, remarking Chaoxi must have forced Jiang Zemin to come here. Jiang Zemin then proceeded, under pressure from Chaoxi, to deliver a talk in supporting Deng's Southern Tour speeches. He felt this amounted to a loss of face, having been forced to come. His resentment towards Chaoxi grew only deeper. One observer at the assembly hall commented, you can see that Jiang Zemin didn't mean what he said. On the surface at least, he had made a show of obeisance. On June 21, Jiang Zemin's mentor, Li Shenyan died of illness in Beijing. So greatly did Jiang fear the prospect of losing his position, that he couldn't sleep, or eat well. He thus made a secret visit to Deng Xiaoping, and offered a deep-cutting round of self-criticism. Jiang Zemin swore with his life, 
eyes tearing up, to follow Deng, carry out the program of reform, and open up straight through to the end. Of course, with Jiang Zemin's mean spirit, this was not over yet. Not only did Jiang team up with Zheng Qinghong to kill Yang Shangkun in 1998, but he also, again with Zheng's help, perpetually wanted Yang Beibing dead. Jiang's dislike of the Yang brothers went beyond personal grudges, to include jealousy over the brothers' accomplishments. Jiang Zemin thought the Yang brothers as an obstacle to taking credit for Deng Xiaoping's successful programs of reform. And his envy towards Chaoxi and Zhu Rongji were beyond measure. No matter it was Zhu Rongji's fault or not, he'd find all kinds of trivial excuse to push him out, suppress and attack him. He hated Chaoxi even more. After Deng's death, Jiang Zemin, who is older, used age as an excuse to force the younger Chaoxi to retire. Jiang Zemin harbored hatred towards Deng Xiaoping, his having wished to remove him from his post. This was not readily apparent of course, as Jiang Zemin always made an outward show of respect towards Deng Xiaoping. He silently cursed Deng for having arranged his successor. On this account he could hardly forgive Deng Xiaoping. Immediately after Deng's passing, Jiang Ziming began to punish the Deng's family, sparing not even Deng's bodyguards or cooks. On August 22, 2001, the 97th anniversary of Deng's birthday, Jiang banned the media from publishing any articles commemorating Deng. After Deng Xiaoping's southern tour, Jiang Zemin's shaky political status aggravated his partner, Zheng Qinghong. Zheng's father, Zheng Shan, was at one time the Minister of Internal Affairs. His mother used to be the director of Yan'an Nursery, where the top leaders sent their children to. Zheng Qinghong had been the head of the top leaders' children. He has always been an extremely ambitious figure, with a yearning for political power. He likes power, and plays with power. He came to believe that, Using Jiang Zemin was a shortcut to the upper echelon of power. He analyzed the situation for Jiang Zemin, as he rendered it, the Yang brothers, Chao Shi, Wan Li, Tian Yun and Li Ruan were all political enemies. The threat came mostly from the Yang brothers, as they held military power, and Deng Xiaoping trusted them more than others. Yang Shangkun laughed at Jiang Zemin, when Jiang Zemin trembled, upon touching a gun, and did not know how it felt to fire a bullet. Zheng Qinghong thought that, Although the Yang brothers' political power was soaring at the time, they were nonetheless, mere military men, and as such, knew nothing of political tactics. When Deng Xiaoping, who had served in the second field troop of the military, became the chairman of the military commission, people from other factions, were edged out. Yang brothers had the greatest power, and as such, were the target of other dissatisfied factions in the military. In the early years of the reform, Deng declared that the military must show tolerance, Yang Shangkun and his brother loyally implemented the policy. In August of 1992, Deng suffered a stroke and was sent to the hospital. Yang Baibing called a meeting with 46 high-ranking army officers at the end of August in Beijing. The meeting discussed whether Jiang Zemin would be a competent chair of the military commission. Yang Baibing mentioned that there are many who opposed Deng's reform policy, and proposed means by which the troops could, following Deng's eventual passing, 
preserve and implement the program of the reforms. Jiang Zemin was shocked and alarmed upon learning the meeting. Zhang Hong sensed that it's an opportunity for something big, and that Deng Xiaoping could be used to bring down the Yang brothers. Yang Shangkun was, in fact, initially reluctant to use military force to suppress the students in Tiananmen Square. Thus on the issue of the massacre, there was a disagreement between Deng Xiaoping and Yang Shangkun. Jiang Zemin thus began leaking rumors to the outside, and told Deng that there were signs that Yang brothers had betrayed him. Jiang told Deng that he was worried. After several such conversations, Deng Xiaoping began to feel that Jiang Zemin was telling the truth, and asked his followers to look into the issue. His followers claimed that what Jiang Zemin said was valid. From that point on, the Yang brothers had lost Deng's trust. Deng Xiaoping was by then in his later years, and lived in seclusion of his home, notable was that he was deeply affected by his children. Zheng proceeded to get in touch with Deng Pufang, Deng Xiaoping's eldest son, through friends, Liu Jing and Yu Zhengsheng. Under Zheng's instruction, Liu and Yu, met with Deng Pufang, and spoke about the danger of Yang forces, and the need to take precautions against the Yang brothers. Later, when Zheng met with Deng Pufang in person, he stressed to Deng how loyal Jiang Zemin was to Deng Xiaoping, and how capable a leader Jiang was, and that Jiang was unable to fully wield power, owing to interference from the Yang brothers. Yang Beibing was in charge of the military personnel assignments and organization structures, listed out 100 middle and high-ranking officers, who were to be promoted. After the names were approved by Yu Huaqing and Yang Shangkun, Yang Beibing presented the list to Jiang Zemin. Jiang Zemin and Zheng Qinghan closely reviewed the list, and thought it was a great opportunity to drive a wedge between the Yang brothers and Deng Xiaoping. Jiang and Zheng held on to Yang's list, and didn't give it approval. Zheng Qinghong was playing off Deng Xiaoping's political anxiety over Tiananmen Massacre. He then, with Yang Beibing's list of 100 officers in hand, told Deng Pufang, that Yang brothers had too much power, and were planning to replace Deng Xiaoping's followers in the military, a dangerous prospect. Zheng Qinghong also told Deng Pufang that if Zhao Ziyang were to re-emerge and become the chairman of the political consultative conference, it would indicate that Deng Xiaoping had indirectly admitted his mistake, in Tiananmen Massacre. Were Yang Shangkun to team up with Zhao Ziyang, Zheng implied, they might well supplant Deng Xiaoping's power. Zhang and Zheng used various means to ensure that, Deng heard the news of the Yang brothers' supposed aspiration to seize military power, and readdress the Tiananmen Massacre. Deng Xiaoping thought it was serious, serious all the more in that Deng had just been ill. And he realized that, he needed to do what he could to arrange political affairs after his death, not only ensuring that, the 14th CCP National Congress continuing to execute his policy to reform and opening up, but also to prevent the massacre from being readdressed, and he himself from being criticized posthumously. Deng Xiaoping fell for Jiang Zemin's faint show of loyalty, and fell for the conspiracy Jiang Zemin and Zhang Hong had designed. Facing objection from Chen Yun and Bo Yibo, Deng Xiaoping had no choice, but to abandon his plan of having Jiang Zemin replaced. He decided to remove Yang brothers' military power, to recommend veterans, such as Liu Huaqing and Zhang Zhen, to Jiang Zemin for the assistance they could provide, to control the military. But Deng Xiaoping knew, deep in his heart, that Jiang Zemin was not reliable, and could only amount to a makeshift leader. In the long run, Deng wanted to select a young successor beyond the 20th century. During the 14th CCP's National Congress, Deng Xiaoping in an unexpected move, arranged for Hu Jintao to be Jiang Zemin's successor. Something of that sort, arranging for a successor for the current successor, had never happened before in the CCP's history. 
Despite his astuteness and experience, Deng Xiaoping was deceived by Jiang Zemin and Zhongqing Hong, the younger generation, and became a victim of a cunning scheme. From then on, the Deng and Yang families ceased all interactions with one another. The 60 years of friendship between Deng Xiaoping and Yang Shangkun crumbled amidst the party's internal political struggle. Little did Deng Xiaoping realize, by cutting off ties with Hu Yaobang, Zhao Ziyong, and Yang brothers, he was destroying the regime he had labored to build. Along the way, Deng Xiaoping thus lost his most capable aides, in both the party and the military. Even though Yu Hua Cheng was loyal to Deng Xiaoping, Liu was aged, and no longer that capable. He was no match for Jiang Zemin and Zhongqing Hong in matters of party politics. The reformist camp suffered a total loss. With Yang brothers down, Jiang Zemin and Zhongqing Hong finally had their ways, and consolidated their political power. These two's audacity and ambition swelled. They practiced more conspiracies, rumor mongerings, and framing ups against their political rivals among the CCP high ranking officials. They would intimidate some, rope in others, attack and destroy dissidents. Many officials were full of anger, feared and loathed them, however, few dared to utter a word. After the fourth plenary session of the CCP's 14th Congress, now that Jiang Zemin indeed secured his political power, he proceeded to get rid of dissidents. Beijing had always been the target of power struggles. Without controlling the Beijing garrison, the Beijing Municipal Government and the Central Security Guard Regiment, a top CCP leader could never feel secure. To gain full control of Beijing, Jiang Zemin felt his greatest obstacle was Chen Zitong. When Chen Zitong was mayor of Beijing, the city successfully hosted the 1990 Asian Games, and completed constructions of the second and third ring roads, which considerably improved the city's infrastructures. On the issues of the Tiananmen Massacre, Chen Tong suggested bold actions, and acted with consistency. He had a very good relationship with Deng Xiaoping. After becoming China's emperor, Jiang Zemin spared no expense to remove anyone who had followed Zhao Ziyang. Under the banner of resisting an alleged attempt by the West quietly changed China, Jiang Zemin began purging reformers, and those who had a close tie with Zhao Ziyang. When Zhao fell from power, with him went Hu Chili, a member of the Politburo Standing Committee. Rather than trying to avoid trouble, Chen Tong arranged a secret meeting with Hu Chili and Wan Li at the Capitol Hotel. A Japanese reporter accidentally saw the three together, and leaked the news of the meeting. The affair took Jiang Zemin by surprise and triggered much anger. Jiang was afraid that Deng Xiaoping would reinstate Hu Chili. Chen Tong advocated for Deng Xiaoping's reform. This agitated Jiang Zemin. One time, Deng Xiaoping visited Capital Steel and gave a speech, in which he said whoever opposed him would have to step down. Upon hearing Deng's word, Jiang Zemin shuddered, almost as if thunder is rolling overhead. He then blamed Chen Tong for failing to notify him of Deng's visit in advance. Chen replied that Jiang's general office itself should seek information about Deng's activity from Deng's office, rather than blame Beijing. Rebuffed and angered, Jiang Zemin grew more determined to remove Chen Zitong. 
Chen had reasons to believe he stood above Jiang. When he saw Jiang Zemin played tricks and cheated his way to become the general secretary, he was full of contempt. Thus in 1995, Chen Tong blew the whistle on Jiang Zemin in a letter to Deng, co-signed by seven provincial party heads. Deng Xiaoping didn't make any comment after reading the letter, and handed out to Bo Yibo, to let him see, what kind of a person he had recommended. Bo Yibo was notorious among high-ranking officials, for his maltreatment of others, opportunism, ingratitude, and duplicity. After reading the accusatory letter from Chen Tong, Bo Yibo, instead, grew happy. That he had something he could hold against Jiang. The letter, he believed, now gave him means to manipulate Jiang's power. He could now blackmail Jiang into promoting his son, Bo Shi Lai, along with his trusted circle of friends. Bo then, summoned Jiang to his side, and handed him the letter, not saying a word. Jiang Zemin began to sweat and turned pale upon reading the accusatory letter, visibly shaken. He pleaded with Bo Yibo to pitch in a few good words to Deng Xiaoping on his behalf, allowing him to keep his post as general secretary. Bo replied that he would do his best. He then instructed Jiang Zemin that in order to remove Chen Tong, Jiang should begin with those who positioned, around him. The offsprings of China's top officials were busy making fortunes, by way of loopholes in the current policies, while the aged party bosses gradually lost their grip on power. As long as Jiang held aloft the banner of fighting corruptions, the royal offsprings would swear their allegiance, so as to avoid punishment and prosecution, from police and judiciary and central disciplinary committee. The real purpose of Jiang Zemin's fighting corruption, was to get rid of dissidents. In 1995, the former chairman of Capital Steel's board, Zhou Guanwu, fell from power, owing to financial misconduct. His son, Zhou Beifang, was arrested and put in prison. The sentencing of Zhou Beifang even prompted Deng Xiaoping to contemplate what would happen after he passed away, whether his children would stand to become the target of Jiang Zemin's purging. In 1995, a case of bribery, involving secretaries in Beijing municipal government, was exposed. Jiang Zemin sent agents murder deputy mayor of Beijing, Wang Baosun, and claimed that Wang killed himself due to fear of exposure of his bribery scandals. Next, Jiang made an all-out effort to take down Chen Tong. Ultimately, what he used to incriminate Chen Tong was a claim that Chen's corruption totaled 565,000 yuans. For a leader, at the Politburo level, such as Chen Tong, the charge was really nothing in effect. A person could even make the case that Chen was relatively clean. Even so, Chen was sentenced for a 16-year prison term. After the episode of fighting corruption was over and some of the posts left vacant, Jiang Zemin named his sons, Jiang Mianheng, Jiang Mianqiang, and his relatives, close and far-fetched alike, to fill in those vacancies to further consolidate his power base. At the end of 2003, Chen Tong was released on bail, so that he might undergo treatment for bladder cancer. Upon his release, Chen wrote a 50,000-word plea letter, in which he accused Jiang Zemin of persecuted him politically. He also accused one of Jiang's sons, Jiang Mianheng, of having illegally transferred 50 million yuans of state's fund. The CCP's corruption has penetrated every level of the system, top to bottom. Any of its crusade against corruption was merely a pretext, a weapon, in its prolonged power struggle.
after fixing the Yang brothers and Chen Zitong, Jiang Zemin and Zhongqing Hong often schemed together as to how they could strengthen their position. Two things they identified were to win over more officials through bribery, and to place their trusted men in key posts. Jiang Zemin, in the process, discovered another useful trick of corruption, to get rid of those who don't swear allegiance, through the anti-corruption campaign. As long as Deng Xiaoping alive, however, Jiang Zemin would never have real peace of mind. In December of 1996, Deng Xiaoping, having been plagued by Parkinson disease for years, was hospitalized for his worsening medical condition. Jiang could hardly wait for Deng to die. The waiting was excruciating. Two months later, Deng was pronounced dead, on the evening of February 19, 1997. During the ceremony to pay the last respect to Deng's body, Jiang Zemin feigned a sad voice for his eulogy, wishing to conceal his true feelings. He even managed to shed a few tears for the public. To this day, the photo that captured Jiang wiping his tears at the event, is an object of ridicule. Then, Jiang Zemin prioritized his target for removal, Chao Xi. Chao Xi joined the CCP at the age of 16, and was in charge of the CCP's underground branch in Shanghai. After the CCP came to power, he began from the bottom, all the way, to members of the CCP's Politburo. He commanded such experiences rivaled not even by Yang Shangkun and Bo Yibo. After Jiang Zemin became the general secretary, he doctored his resume to cover up his traitor background, and beefed up his credentials, claiming that he took part in the student movement led by the underground CCP in Shanghai since 1943, and joined the party in April 1946, which made Chao Xi, who knew the historical facts of Shanghai better than anybody else, looked down at Jiang Zemin with even more disgust and indignation. Jiang Zemin knew that he was in an inferior position comparing to Chao Xi, and were full of envy towards Chao Xi's reputation and image. With Deng Xiaoping gone, Jiang Zemin believed that he was now the highest in rank, and thus others should rally around him, and that he should be the center. But Chao Xi, who seemed disregard Jiang, would still speak out as usual whenever he saw things that need to be readdressed. This was a vexing matter for Jiang, giving him something of constant churning feeling in his stomach. Heimudu Culture Museum is a historical heritage site. In 1992, Jiang Zeman visited there. When he saw the logo was Chao Xi's handwriting, his face turned dark and long. The museum's management was alarmed, and quickly substituted the logo with Jiang Zeman's handwriting. On April 26, 1997, the person Jiang believed to be Chao Xi's major political backer, Peng Zhen, died. Jiang felt tremendous relief. In 1998, a group of senior officials led by Chao Xi submitted to Jiang Zemin an investigation report on Falun Gong, which stated that the practice and its followers were in every sense benefits to the nation and its people. Jiang Zemin again struck a deal with Bo Yibo, demanded him to pressure Chao Xi to retire according to a new age limit at 70. Chao Xi would be left with no choice but to retire. Jiang Zemin, however, would stay in as the core of the leadership, though he was 71 years old. After that Bo Yibo's son, Bo Silai was looked after by Jiang Zemin with special attention. And Bo Silai, in turn, became Jiang Zemin's diehard lieutenant in his persecution of Falun Gong. Chao Xi agreed to retire and step down from all posts with conditions that Wei Jianxing would stay as the secretary of the disciplinary commission, and Tian Jiyun remained vice chairman of the People's Congress. Chao's retirement paved the way for Jiang's personnel arrangements at the CCP's 15th Congress. At the session, new appointments came to comprise 56% of the total CCP Central Committee. 
all had been checked and approved by General Secretary Jiang Zemin and his associates. Chao Shi, Li Rei Huan, and Wan Li mentioned at different locations that Deng Xiaoping and the Standing Committee had agreed that Hu Jintao would the core of the fourth generation leadership. They made it known that the decision was approved by the Politburo, therefore, legitimate. If Jiang Zemin attempted to depose Hu Jintao, it would thus mean he had betrayed Deng Xiaoping. And Jiang didn't dare to go against the will of Deng Xiaoping. So, in essence, Chao Shi, Li Rei Huan and Wan Li used Deng's wishes almost as a time bomb to force Jiang to step down when his time was due. The action Chao Shi took before his retirement forced Jiang Zemin to carry on amidst what had been set in motion by Deng Xiaoping. While Jiang Zemin had forced Chao Shi to retire via the 70 years age limit, Chao Shi, in turn, proposed a set of rules regarding retiring at 70. That would require Jiang to hand over power to Hu Jintao after serving one more term. Five years later, it was Jiang Zemin's turn to face the pressure of such rules. The very same trap, that a power-hungry Jiang Zemin had set for Chao Shi, now had ensnared the general secretary himself. Bo Yibo gave Jiang Zemin one more suggestion, the party commands the gun, the standing committee of the Politburo should exclude any military man. Since the CCP's 15th Congress, all military officials were barred from entering the standing committee. No more Deng Xiaoping looking over his shoulder, no more Chao Shi sticking around as his eyesore, Jiang Zemin, at last, felt like a core leader, really worthy of the name. Under Jiang Zemin's reign, corruption in the bureaucracy reached unprecedented levels. The irony is that, corrupted officials have been among the most vocal in China's fight against corruption. The Yuan Hua case has a long history behind it. The main culprit was the board chairman of the Yuan Hua group, Lai Changxing. Lai founded the group in 1994, and was since engaged in the practice of smuggling for five years. The value of goods smuggled by the group totaled 53 billion yuans with duty fees invaded amounting 30 billion yuans. This resulted in a loss of 83 billion yuans in revenue for the state. At the time, the Yuan Hua case was regarded as the largest incident of smuggling to have taken place since the CCP came to power in 1949. During the investigations, over 600 persons were probed, with nearly 300 being prosecuted in the end for criminal liabilities. In 2001, Courts at several levels issued a total of 167 verdicts on 269 defendants in connection with Yuan Hua smuggling case. In July, before the case was closed, several persons had been sentenced to death and executed, which was tantamount to killing witnesses and destroying evidence. Jiang Zemin was so narrow-minded, he couldn't miss the Yuan Hua chance to take revenge on those who verbally made light of him. Two figures were always on his mind, one was Ji Peng Fei, and the other was Liu Hua Qing. Both of them had networked with people in their respective fields. But neither cared much about Jiang Zemin. Of course, little could two senior figures, such as them, be blamed for lack of respect towards the appointed core leader. Ji Peng Fei was once a heavyweight in China's foreign affairs system, a key figure in the handover of the Hong Kong sovereignty. 
he used to hold high-ranking positions, of which were included Deputy Premier, Member of the State Council, Director of the Office of Hong Kong and Macau Affairs, Vice Chairman of the National People's Congress and Member of the Standing Committee of the Central Advisory Council. All of these made Jiang Zemin boiled beneath the surface. Ji Sheng Dei, who was Ji Peng Fei's only son, was the Deputy Director of the Intelligence Department of the People's Liberation Army Headquarter of General Staff. He was on close terms with Lai Changxing. Meanwhile, Liu Huaqing's daughter was the subordinate of Ji Sheng Dei. Ji Sheng Dei never had anything good to say about Jiang Zemin. In mid-March of 1999, Ji Sheng Dei was asked back to Beijing to attend an expanded meeting of CMC. As soon as he arrived at the conference room, Ji sensed that something was awry. Nobody greeted him. He was then promptly arrested, and it seemed that he would be sentenced to death. After his arrest, his father, Ji Peng Fei, who was spending his retired life in Shangshan Resort, wrote Jiang Zemin four times asking Jiang Zemin to spare his son the death penalty. The request was rejected. In despair, Ji Peng Fei committed suicide by swallowing sleeping pills on February 10, 2000. After attending his father's funeral service, Ji Shengdei who was kept in custody at PLA's Department of General Staff, felt even more hopeless than before. He attempted to commit suicide by slitting his wrists with a toothbrush handle, and swallowing more than 70 sleeping pills. The suicide attempt failed, however. Ji Peng Fei's widowed wife, Xu Han Bing, was able to hold off his son's execution for the time being, with the help of a few retired senior officials and officials' widows. She asked Jiang Zemin to grant Ji Shengdei medical parole and was rejected. She then asked to visit Ji Shengdei three times a week and was rejected again. Unable to stand the grief and indignation from this, she tried to kill herself with sleeping pills on the evening of September 14, 2001, and was rushed to the hospital and rescued. Liu Hua Cheng was Jiang Zemin's babysitter assigned by Deng Xiaoping after the Tiananmen massacre, on the ground that Jiang had never served in the military. Liu would lecture Jiang often at the Politburo meetings. But Jiang Zemin, someone who promoted generals on a wimp, definitely didn't want anyone to give him constant direction. Zhongqing Hong had once told Liu Hua Ching, We can't stop you from opposing Chairman Jiang, but it's nothing for us to arrest your daughter-in-law, your wife, and your daughter. Liu Hua Ching's youngest daughter Liu Chao Ying, and his second daughter-in-law Zheng Li, were the two people he loved most dearly. He could hardly take food or rest well after the two were arrested. After turning the matter over in his mind, Liu had concluded that he had no choice but to pluck up his courage to intercede with Jiang Zemin. But Jiang uttered not so much as a word after receiving a call from Liu Hua Cheng about the matter. Jiang's countenance even revealed a hint of satisfaction after hanging up the phone. Jiang Zemin's trusted subordinate, Jia Cheng Lin was another major figure in the Yuan Hua case. From 1994 to 1996 Jia Qinglin was the party secretary of Fujian province, and the director of the standing committee of the Fujian Provincial People's Congress. His wife Lin Yifang, was the party secretary of China Foreign Trade Group in Fujian. She was accused of serious corruption in connection with the Yuan Hua case, and could never shake the accusations. After Jiang ousted Chen Tong, the party secretary of Beijing in 1996, Jia Qinglin was promoted first as the mayor of Beijing, and later, party secretary of Beijing, and even given membership in the Politburo. Jiang Zemin thus asked of Jia Qinglin to divorce his wife to make clear that Jia had drawn the line between him and Lin Yufang. As the Tenth of the People's Congress and Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference were about to convene, Jia Qinglin, who had been unofficially slated, thanks to Jiang Zemin, 
to take the position of the chairmanship of the 10th of the Political Consultative Conference, submitted a letter of resignation from the Politburo citing for poor health. Jiang, however, rejected Jaya's resignation. He said, if you step down from the political arena, I'm finished. The Beijing municipal government gave a banquet to celebrate Jia Qinglin's appointment as the chairman of the consultative conference. Throughout the banquet, Jia kept silent, drank glass after glass of liquor. At one point, he murmured to himself, It's not me, who wanted the promotion. In the meeting of the 16th National People's Congress in November 2002, one picture, capturing the dispirited Jia sitting at his table, told what Jia felt inside, he had no choice but to be Jiang Zemin's accomplice. Although Jiang Zemin succeeded in promoting Jia to the highest circle of power in the CCP, the Yuan Hua case still haunted and undermined Jia Qinglin. Jia's connection to the Yuan Hua case had become a typical example of the corrupted CCP politics. It was a constant stark reminder of just how hollow Jiang Zemin's talk of fighting corruption really was. Jiang Zemin intended to use the Yuan Hua case to knock out political opponents, but ultimately, ended up shooting his own foot. After Yang Shangkun was forced to step down, Jiang Zemin was still very much afraid of him. Zheng Qinghong expressed his view, that if Yang was not done away with, he could eventually cause trouble. But it would be risky for Jiang and Zheng to take action against Yang, while Deng Xiaoping was still alive. When Deng passed away in February 1997, 92-year-old Yang Shangkun was still in good health. He had long been displeased with Jiang's arbitrary promotion of generals, bribing people for support and attacks on those who disagreed with him. Yang would often rebuke Jiang at gatherings of senior cadres. One day in the latter half of 1998, during a large gathering of senior military cadres not attended by Jiang, Yang again criticized Jiang. He said that if Jiang as the chairman of the CMC was to continue as he was, the military would be ruined. Zheng Qinghong's informants had by that time infiltrated everywhere. Yang's words thus were quickly reached Jiang's ears. Jiang knew that although the brothers, Yang Shangkun and Yang Beibing, were already stripped of their military power, in the 14th National Congress of the CCP, their influence in the military was still potentially strong. Jiang also knew that he had incurred the dissatisfaction and hatred, of many people, with his disparaging attack on Zhao Ziyong, and Yang Shangkun. The attacks resulted in their downfall, thereby affected the transfer of power to himself, in the CCP, the government, and the military. If Yang Shangkun, who held the positions of first vice chairman of the military commission, and the chairman of the nation, were to gather forces to suppress Jiang, little could Jiang have to ward him off. Though Jiang often had Bo Yibo, another party elder, giving him advice. He had, after all, no military background or power. Moreover, Bo Yibo, who attacked Hu Yaobang hard, when Hu was down, still was reviled by many people. After deliberated planning, Jiang decided to seize upon any opportunity to get rid of Yang Shangkun and preclude future trouble. While Jiang plot might have been very careful, his conspiracy nevertheless gave him away in the end. On August 3, 2003, 
the state-run Sinhua News Agency released a strange piece of outdated news. It reported that midwinter in 1996, Jiang Zemin hosted a small special meeting in Chinchung Hall of the Central Government Complex at Zhongnanhai. The main topic of the meeting was how to improve the temperature and humidity in the south wing of the PLA General Hospital, also known as the 301 Hospital. Jiang said the temperature and humidity problem was major, for many of the nation's founding fathers, who had dedicated their lives to the military, were now stayed in the hospital. It was imperative to concern and take good care of them. The majority of the party and military elders frown upon the corrupted and incompetent clown Jiang Zemin. They relied on their credentials and dared to disrespect Jiang. During many high-level internal meetings of the CCP, these military elders would criticize, reprimand, and even attack Jiang Zemin. Jiang could do little about it. He and Zheng Qinghong knew one thing, human beings naturally come to have ailments as they age. Then, they had realized that the hospital would help them reach their goals. For one, they could use the improvement to the hospital to play favorites with the military elders, claiming to take care of them. And secondly, the lives of these people would be in Jiang's hands, and at critical times his control would take effect. Indeed, Jiang's special concern for the PLA General Hospital finally came to serve an important function. When Yang Shankun caught a cold in the fall of 1998, he was taken to the PLA General Hospital, which was by then under Jiang and Zheng's control. Short after Yang Shankun was hospitalized, at 1.17 a.m. on September 14, 1998, he was pronounced dead. As the saying goes, eventually the truth would win out. Not long after Yang's death, it was rumored widely by the general public, that Yang had in fact been murdered. Yang's family members, in time, asked that the party central investigate the cause of his death.